fabulous. Hi, friends. I'm Shannon Payne. And I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And this week... (laughs) (laughs) This is a cool one. This one's an interesting one. And this is one that I think anybody who's gone to college and taken any kind of intro to psych class will know maybe not exactly what we're talking about, but we'll have a really good idea about what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we are talking about today Mr. Philip Zimbardo and his Stanford prison experiment. Ew. I know. We all know this one. (laughs) It is notorious. I mean, so I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before. Before I did what I'm doing now, I got my degree in social work. We know you studied it, but we didn't know you used it on the podcast. <laughs> That's right. So I, I was a social worker for a little while and I got my degree in social work, which means that the majority of my courses were sociology, psychology, stuff that surrounded both of those topics really heavily. I learned about this so many times. And the amount of times that we talked about it in college, I'm realizing we never dipped our toe into it hardly at all. Um, in the times I've heard about it, I've only heard about it as like a, a legitimate study. And so now I'm I'm wondering, did my did my teacher know? And I think <laughs> like, that's, that's where I was at, too. I just sat here and so many different professors talked to me about this. And we talked about the ethical dilemmas around it. Mm-hmm. But that was all that I remember talking about it for was ethically it was wrong. But here's what we can still pull from it. Here's the ideas that we can learn from it. Here's how we move on from it. I hear people all the time talking about how that experiment shows us that people will be as violent as they can be when they're given power. And it's like somehow, even though we know that it's an illegitimate study, we've legitimized its results. Right. And that that doesn't make any sense. It's kind of wild to me. It really is. I've never I've never read about this as an illegitimate study. So what I'm going to do today, we're going to take a deep dive. We're going to take a deep dive on this study, what went into it, the planning that went into it, and what this immersive experience was like. Okay. This week is all about that. Next week, I really want to dip into what does the way he did things mean? What does it mean for the results that he got? How did it impact the people that were a part of the study? How does it impact the world as a whole or does it? Okay. Okay. So this week, I really... I think it's going to be important. So I'm going to I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background about Philip Zimbardo and where he came from, how he went into the field of study that he went to. And then we're going to really immerse ourselves in here. So it's going to feel really strange. It feels really strange for me. We're going to talk about everyone in terms of the identifiers that they were given in the study. So for the prisoners, it's numbers. For the guards, I'm just going to refer to them as either guards or some of them had specific names that they were given. Okay. So we're not we're not going to humanize them in this because I think that's that's what this study was supposed to feel like. We're going to talk about people next week and then science this week. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> you know like like um what what it was supposed to be. Yeah. What was the intention behind this? What was supposed to come from all of this? What I'm thinking is sweaty. Mm. It feels like the whole situation was sweatier than I'd like to be. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll get into it. There's Hot some. Take. <laughs> I like it. There's some 
Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it because we will definitely get to that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think a good place to start here is where did Philip Zimbardo start? What was his early life like? Um, so and I think I think understanding this is good because it did have an impact on where he went and what he decided to do. So he was born in New York City on March 23rd, 1933. His parents were immigrants from Sicily and growing up, he experienced a lot of discrimination, a lot of prejudice. He was poor. He kind of grew up on welfare. He was often, oddly enough, mistaken for other ethnicities. And I wonder if that's just one of those, like, we have tendencies sometimes to just overgeneralize people as a whole. sometimes we throw anybody with any melanin in their skin into, like, a shake-and-bake bag of racism. Yeah, that feels exactly right. And they just get it from all angles, especially if they have... Um, like a prominent facial feature or curly hair sometimes. Like if you can be put into a different bag, they'll put you in it if that's where they want you to be. And I think it was easy for him too. Not only was he, he had an interesting look. I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of him. He, he is distinctive. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm sure he looks like a very moody director. He does. He really does. He has a mood. Um, And after you learn about this, you'll think maybe he should have gone into movies instead of psychology. Yes. Seems like that's more his vibe. Seems like that's probably (laughs) his vibe. (laughs) But so he was often mistaken for being Jewish, for being Puerto Rican, African-American. Just he ran the gambit. People just assumed he was everything. And it's always safe, I think, to assume, especially when it comes to people's uh, racial identity. Oh, yeah. Just mm-hmm. go for it. Yeah, really. for sure. Just throw one out there. That's it's gotta what be they right. always say. Say the same thing about like um, whether or not you think somebody's pregnant. Just oh, go for it. Yeah, for sure. Just ask. Yeah. Just say it. It'll be fine. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so these early struggles fostered a curiosity about people's behavior and the things that can influence it. And so when he graduated and decided to go into college. He did receive uh, his bachelor's degree with a triple major at Brooklyn College. So he majored in psychology, sociology, and anthropology. And he graduated summa cum laude in 1954. Wow. Yeah, really smart. He is a smart guy. Yeah. For sure. Triple major is nothing to cough at. Like, No, that's a lot of work. I struggled with my one major. (laughs) Even if they all end in ology, you don't have to read the same books. Like They're all different. It's a lot. He then went on from there to go to Yale. He earned his master's degree and doctorate there. He did have an advisor who was named Neil E. Miller. And this is a little important. Um, Speaking from experience here, my advisors did have a really big impact on me and how I decided to study And once we decided kind of the area that we wanted to go, we were narrowed down with a specific advisor. So for me, I wanted to study social work in the older adult communities and how you can help there. Mm -hmm. I didn't ultimately go into that. And it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what was college really for? That's what I'm wondering. That's what I'm wondering. (laughs) I do nothing with my degree. (laughs) I do, but I'm still mad about how much it costs. It was a lot of money. with so much money and I sit here and think about how what I could do with that money now it was so much oh yeah it's a lot of dollars racket um so his like my advisor influenced me a ton in that direct field so did Phillips and Bardos so his 
his uh, advisor, Miller, was really interested in fear as a learned drive and its role in conflict, as well as visceral responses to different behaviors that are exhibited at you, towards you, on you. Which isn't exactly what Zimbardo studied, but it feels really... What's the word I'm looking for? In line with it? I don't want to say any emotion is negative, but I feel like they're both... When you talk about fear and when you talk about um, like anger and aggression, I feel like they are, are a flavor of emotion right. that kind of go together. They're yes. uncomfortable. They um, You don't uh, want to stay in them. You, they're, they're difficult. Right. Sometimes loud. (laughs) They feel very loud a lot of times. And definitely put us like at our extremities a lot of the time, like to the to the tips of where we're able to cope with the situation. Absolutely. Some. Absolutely. See how they'd go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. So Zimbaro taught at Yale after he graduated for two years and he taught a few other places after Yale and then became a member of the faculty at Stanford in 1968 which is where our story will take place. Um, okay, so what was the Stanford prison experiment intended to study? And to really get a grip on this, we're going to jump back a few years and we're going to go back to Yale. Let's talk about the Stanley Milgram study on obedience. Have you heard about this before? On obe- no. Okay. It's, I feel gross about it already. That's fair. I... <laughs> I this one I definitely remember learning about. We did it's about the same level as I learned about the Stanford Prison Experiment, but I did learn about this one, and this one is absolutely unethical. So let's go into why nice. and what it did. So the aim of Milgram's study is Milgram was interested in researching how far people would go in obeying an instruction if it involved harming another person. Yes. Okay. So I think I've heard about this. Have you heard about this podcast before? Okay, it's yeah, it's not a great one. So Stanley Milgram was interested in how easily ordinary people could be influenced in committing atrocities. For example, the Germans in World War II. That's what this was supposed to go into. Is we see these happen everywhere in the world. It's inevitable. It happens. Why does it happen? Mm -hmm. Can we figure out how how it happens and then tackle it from that point there? So I can understand on a certain level, why did why did someone feel the drive to study this? Because that's that's the question that we get when we see someone do something that gross. Like, how how, how could you? Yeah. What, what makes you do something like that? Right. And that's ultimately what he's asking here. So let's go into the procedure. So volunteers were recruited for a study, which they were told was related to an investigation on the process of learning. Okay. 40 males were selected and they were paid $4.50 to participate. Each of the volunteers were introduced to another quote unquote participant who was really a part of the study team and a fake experimenter in a lab coat was present as well. This was not Milgram. This was somebody else. Milgram was sitting in a different room. Okay. So ultimately there's one real person being studied here and two people who are participants and they're like psychology students is that who the participants usually are I feel like that's pretty likely so when I was going to school and when I was doing my psychology courses a prerequisite for me to even be able to pass the course was to participate in a certain number of studies every semester so in all likelihood I'm not saying that all of these participants were psychology students but I would bet that a lot of them were 
I'm assuming like you give the, the graduate students have are, are more like designing studies at that point. Yes. And then undergrad students are participating. Yes. Okay. So a lot of a lot of the ones that I participated in, it was professors and graduate students that were putting them together, running them, testing theories. And it was me as an under, undergraduate student that was being studied. Do you ever get people who are just like people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that who can definitely like, happen. I, I want to come play psychology. Uh, that can definitely oh, happen. Wow. And so How weird. I don't know. I, for the ones that I participated in, it was open to all of the students on campus. It wasn't just psychology students. And you get paid. So and I'm sure that's a motivator. So... Not every study do you get paid. I did not get paid for any of the ones that I did, but I did. It did go towards my college. Bad choices. Shane. I know, right? I don't know if that's been. I don't know if that's Maybe been that's cut out as a practice. Mm. And we'll talk about it later. Why that might be the case. I'm not sure if it still happens. But in every study I did, that was not even a factor. It Kinda was just like part of it. People probably shouldn't get paid to donate sperm. Yeah. Because it just makes it weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe they should get paid to donate blood because we have can we often have shortages. Right. The amount of blood available. Right. Listen, money, don't it make the world go round? Mm -hmm. Somehow makes the world go round and round. Mm -hmm. I wish it wasn't the motivator. Ugh. I sure like having it. I do, too. You know, in Star Trek, they don't have money. Everyone just works for the betterment of humanity. This is why I love Star Trek. This is why my entire side is tattooed with Live Long and Prosper and Vulcan script. <laughs> because we can learn so much from Star Trek. And it's so pretty. It is so pretty. It's a really pretty one. It's a fun one. I like it. <sighs> okay. So we had participants who were being paid $4.50 to participate. Um, so, and again, one, one participant to people who are a part of the study team. The participant thinks he's got one additional participant in there with him when he really does not. Okay. Okay. So the volunteer and team participant would draw straws on who would be a teacher in this study scenario and who would be the student, but this was rigged. So the volunteer was always the teacher. And then the person who was a part of the study team was always going to be the student okay. every time. Two rooms in the Yale Interaction Laboratory were used. One for the learner with an electric chair. So again, this is the study, the person doing the study. Um, and then another for the teacher and experimenter with an electric shock generator. Uh-oh. Yes. This is kind of gross. It's not great. Oof. So the learner is strapped to the chair with electrodes and the fake experimenter gives him a list of word pairs to memorize. The teacher, a.k.a. the volunteer, then reads a word from each word pair, and the learner is supposed to give the other word in that pair. Anytime the learner says the wrong word, the teacher is supposed to administer a shock, quote-unquote shock, which they believe to be real, but it is actually fake. So the person in the electric chair is not getting shocked? He is not getting shocked at all. But, but they he, think he thinks he's hurting him. Yes. So the, the actual study participant believes that he is hurting this other person. And this other person is acting as though he is being shocked. Oh, I would just want to stop and go home. I would, too. I would. It's not worth $4.50 for no. me. Thank you. I, I'm good. No way. I'm good. So for each wrong answer, the shock level is increased. It begins at 15 volts, which is considered a slight shock. 
and to the top of the range is 450 volts, which is danger. Like it's a danger zone and severe shock can occur at that level if you're actually being administered that. Right, right, right. Oh, wow. Yes. That's a lot. So that's, I mean, if you really think this is real, that's a huge, huge deal and a huge amount of trauma that you're inflicting on another person. Shocking people is dangerous for a lot of reasons, too. It can do so much damage. Your heart can stop beating. Yes. Ooh. It's, if you really sit and think about it, like if this was real, you as a person doing it, like you ultimately feel like you're doing this real thing. Yeah. Like that's huge. That's, I can't even imagine having that feeling of I'm hurting somebody to this level. The way that even um, electroshock therapy generally works is like you get two teeny tiny fraction of a second shocks once every like two weeks. Yeah. So this is this is extreme. This takes it far beyond. Far, far beyond. Okay. So for each wrong answer, the shock level is increased again, like we said. And the learner mainly gives wrong answers and this is intended. This is all on purpose. So when the teacher refused to administer a shock, the experimenter was to give a series of orders or prods to ensure that the teacher continued. There were four prods, and if one was not obeyed, then the experimenter would read the next one, and then so on and so on. So here are what the prods were. Prod number one, please continue. Prod number two, the experiment requires you to continue. Prod number three, it is absolutely essential that you continue. And prod number four, you have no other choice but to continue. Hmm. So you're given those. If you can if you can move past that, they let you go, you're done. But here's what the results were. Two-thirds, 65% of participants continued to the highest level of 450 volts. Oh my gosh. All the participants. Every single participant continued to 300 volts. Holy moly. Well, to stop, you'd have to get to the point where someone tells you it's absolutely essential and you'd have to be like, no way, I'm leaving anyways. Right. Not knowing if you'd get in trouble, if you're a student, if this impacts your... If it impacts your grades. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. I I read these... I read all of this information this week and I sat here and wondered how I would be in a scenario like this. And it's hard because you want to sit here and think, would I stop? What I have stopped. And I, the person that I believe myself to be now, I believe I would stop because I can't handle that. But it's scary to think about. When you were 19 and in college and you have a lot riding on these adults, older people, older than you, where the grad students look like they're mature yep. compared to what you're experiencing. And they're telling you a thing you have to do. Yeah. I, I mean... You do it, right? Right. I mean, and like I said, you look at it, every single participant, all of them went to 300. All it's of so them. so emotionally manipulative. It is. It's I wild. I can just imagine them being so, um, I don't know, I would be crying, you know? Like I would just, be sobbing. Just at the top of what they can handle, saying, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Because how do you walk away from that not scarred and it's cruel it is cruel to leave and know that it was all nothing and to know 
to sit here and think I was capable of this. If it was a real, I believed this to be a real scenario Mm -hmm. and I was capable of this. And they were just fucking with me. Yep. Oh, I hate it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But this, it's important to talk about this because this has a direct impact and it leaves an impression on Zimbardo. Right. It's powerful. It is powerful. And it is... It has strong parallels to what he was doing. And so Zimbardo was at Yale when this was occurring, when this when this study was happening. He wasn't necessarily a part of it, but he was there. So it, it is interesting to see the parallels that do happen. Uh, the the beginning of his megalomania. <laughs> it just to me, it seems like a person exercising their power over other people. It really does. In a yucky way. In a gross, gross way. Like I said, I understand the drive and the need to understand why people can do the most atrocious and awful things. But this just feels atrocious and awful in itself. Are the um, results of that study considered useful? And I didn't dig a ton into that side of things. It's not going to be, from what I found, it's not... It's not as problematic as the Stanford prison experiment will be, and we will find it to be. There wasn't a ton of literature out there that I read when I was looking this up that said, this is the worst experiment we've ever seen, and this is why. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I didn't dig a ton into it, but what I did find didn't really fault the credibility as much. It just faulted the way that they went about it and the fact that it was wildly, wildly unethical. So don't all of you who decide to go to college and go into psychology, this might not be the best thing to try and do. Don't do this to people. (laughs) But do go into psychology. It's important. That's very psychology is a good field. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've talked about this experiment that had an impression on Zimbardo. Let's go into Zimbardo's discussion on why on why he wanted to do this prison experiment. So I'm going to be reading a lot. And this is quotes directly from him. And then we'll stop and we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. So these are three reasons that Zimbardo gives for conducting this study. I had been conducting research for some years earlier on de-individuation, vandalism, and dehumanization that illustrated the ease with which ordinary people could be led to engage in antisocial acts by putting them into situations in which they felt anonymous or in which they could perceive others in ways that made them less less than human, as enemies, or as objects. I wondered, along with my research research associates, Greg Haney and Kurt Banks, what would happen if we aggregated all of these processes, making some participants feel de-individuated and others dehumanized within an anonymous environment that constituted a total environment in a controlled experimental setting? That was the primary reason for conducting this study. A related second conceptual reason was to generate another test of the power of social situations over individual dispositions without relying on the kind of face-to-face imposition of authority surveillance that was central in Stanley Milgram's obedience studies. So again, this is, he wants it to not have this quote-unquote professional in the room. He, He wanted it to be, this is an organic situation you don't have this person of power in the room it's just what's going to naturally occur and what's going to naturally happen okay 
In many real-life situations, people are seduced to behave in evil ways without the coercive control of an authority figure demanding their compliance or obedience. In the Stanford Prison Experiment, we focused on the power of roles, rules, symbols, group identity, and situational validation of ordinarily ego-alien behaviors and behavioral styles. We were influenced here by earlier reports of brainwashing and milieu control coming out of accounts of the Korean War and Chinese communist indoctrination methods. Yeah, it's heavy. (laughs) It is heavy. Pedagogically, the study had its roots in a social psychology course I had taught the previous spring. I invited students to reverse roles and instruct me on 10 topics that interested me, but I had not had the time to investigate. They were primarily topics and issues that were at the interface of sociology and psychology or of institutions of individuals such as the effect of being put into an old age home, media distortion of information, and the psychology of imprisonment. The group of students headed by David Jaff, I think that's how you spell his name, or say his name, J-A-F-F-E. Sure. I think that's it. Um, Who chose the prison topic conducted a mock prison experimental learning session over a weekend just before they were to make their class experiment or class presentation. The dramatically powerful impact of this brief experience had on many of them surprised me and focused uh, and forced us to consider whether such a situation could really generate so much distress and role identification or whether the students who chose to study prisons, among many other options available to the class, were in some ways more pathological than the rest. The only way to resolve that ambiguity was to conduct a controlled experiment that eliminated self-selection factors, and so we did. So in summary, Zimbardo wanted to see what the psychological effects were of becoming a prisoner or a prison guard. He decided to set up his own simulated prison and notate the effects of this institution on the behavior of everyone after two weeks. Um, I've never been involved in a technical study, but as you were listing all of the things that he was going to focus on, it seemed like too many things. You can't study that many things in one experiment. It does not work. I feel like when I learned about the scientific method, right? they want to, you know, you're supposed to have one question. Exactly. And try to remove as many variables as possible so that you can be sure that you're getting the answer to that question. If he wanted to study this many things... He needed to conduct a whole series of different experiments. Right, right. He, like, he couldn't just aggregate it all into one. That does not work. That is not legitimate science. And you can't you can't separate everything back out again and say he did this because of this thing. Right. There's too much. There is entirely too much there. Yeah. It does not work. It does not work. And we will talk about this a ton next week. A ton. I, um, whenever I got, would get papers back, um... From professors, one of the most common things you see is uh, be more specific. Yep. Like narrow it down. Exactly. Make it smaller. Yeah. Get, get get in further. Um, and I feel like he should know this at this point. He should. I mean, he's got his doctorate. Right. And in psychology, so even just in social work for me, the amount of papers that you have to write yeah. and get graded on and judged on and like the few papers that I helped write that were getting published you should know by now. I right. knew that in my undergraduate study. He is a getting his doctorate, and not only that, but teaching for years afterwards. And supposedly, when you're when you're a professor, you're supposed to continue writing things. You're supposed to continue doing these things. Right. You don't just get to sit back and relax at that point. You're still 
It's expected to yeah. continue. He's written a whole thesis that's incredibly reviewed. Yes. And all his papers would be peer-reviewed. Yes. So if he doesn't understand the process of of conducting a study, someone would have found out by now. You would think. Which makes me feel like he just wanted to do it because it was way cool. I, And I understand that drive. But you Somebody cannot should. call this an experiment no. at, already at this point of inception. And you, you can't, can't call use this an school experiment. money to pay for it. I know. <laughs> it's... <laughs> And if you want to make only a movie money, that's different. Can we talk about also a problem? I don't know how problematic, but I don't feel good about it. So the influence of funding, he was also funded by the U.S. Office of Naval Research. They Ew. wanted to better understand antisocial behavior and its impact on conflict between military guards and prisoners. Whenever I find out that military money has been seeping into a thing, it makes me suspicious of that Automatically. thing. <laughs> what am I being targeted for? Right. What are they trying to influence me to do? Yeah. So that's so not only school money, but also money from the government, essentially. <laughs> is torture really that bad, or can we start doing or can it again? We do that? Is that okay? They did it, so can we do it? No, it's gotta be fine. It's right? very bad. <laughs> it's not okay. Don't do it. Don't don't do it. Don't do it. So yes, right from the very beginning, after all of this that I just read. You don't have a good basis for an experiment, but he's going to run with it anyways. I feel like this is a first draft. <laughs> this is this he's is really not a first ready. draft. This is like this is like your concept this the, map. This is the shit on his whiteboard. Yeah. This is where you sit here and like, I want to maybe try this topic or I want to try this topic or this topic or this topic. And I'm going to branch off on this topic with this and this and this. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do the whole thing. This is just a mood board of an yeah, experiment. Exactly. Nice. Yes. Okay, so I think we are to the point now where we're going to talk more about the preparation that went into this okay. experiment. So first question that I felt was important is how were the participants selected? Okay, so an ad was placed in the Palo Alto Times and the Stanford Daily Newspapers in August 1971, and here is what those ads said. Male college students needed for a psychological study of prison life. Problem again. You said in the thing that they weren't supposed to know what you were studying. You just told them. You just told them. <laughs> so bad. $15 per day for one to two weeks beginning August 14th. For further information and applications, come to room 248 Jordan Hall, Stanford University. I feel like... In a world of cable TV, no one wants to have a prison experience. So we could not recreate this exact thing now if we tried. Oh, God, no. <laughs> we like, that's a hard pass. I think I'll pass. Thank you. <laughs> I don't care how much you're paying me. I'm good. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. But at the time, there was some interest in this. So 75 men applied and all were screened and interviewed. The goal was to exclude anyone with a criminal background psychological impairments, or medical problems. Ultimately, psychological stability was the goal. As psychologically stable as a person who wants to be part of a prison experiment is. Right. You have to say Which here, could like, be pretty chill and just interested in some money and could be, like, a questionable person. Exactly. So he did... They did have some criteria that they used to select from these applicants. Okay. Here's what... I could find. So I got all of this after watching Quiet Rage, A Quiet Rage, which is Zimbardo's filmed 
presentation on what this experiment was and kind of goes into day by day what happened. Um, so what I did is I paused because you could see the questionnaires that he was handing out to everybody. So I paused and I copied down everything that I could. I didn't get everything, but I copied down what I could see. So example questions. There was one section titled mental health and questions found in this section were, have you ever been in therapy? If yes, what kind? For how long? And with what results? Question number two, have you ever been hospitalized? If yes, when? Where and for how long? Have you ever taken any, t any tranquilizers? If so, what type? What was the dose? And for how long did you take it? Oh. Section number two was drug use. And all it does is I'll go through the list of what they had. And all they did was circle yes or no. So, <laughs> yes or no. Do you know what this is? Have you had some? Have you had some? Do you do it every day? You, right? Yes or no doesn't seem like specific enough. It doesn't at all. Yes or no. So drug Marijuana. Yes or no. Hey, that was question number one. <laughs> uh, yes, um, but no. But no? <laughs> <laughs> Am I? I, su I support it. <laughs> right? <laughs> no? <laughs> question number two was... Do you take uppers? Yes or no? Question number three was, do you take downers? Question number four is ridiculous. Heroin or other? Heroin. Heroin or other? The, I don't know what that means. I don't either. Or other? Or other. So, like... Do the first ones only... Re what? <laughs> right? <laughs> How are you supposed to answer these? I don't know. It's <laughs> yep. <laughs> Heroin or other? Hmm. Hmm. Well, and what if your other was does like other mean Benadryl, Tylenol, PM? Right? <laughs> like, what do you say? <laughs> Is there a line after other where you can fill it in? Other um, um, albuterol inhalers. Yes, <laughs> Claritin. <laughs> Or is it just really big stuff? Like, what's the what's the scariest drug you can think of? Heroin, actually. Heroin, probably. V things that intravenous things. Yeah, cocaine. The cocaine. The cocaine. Or is that that's just an upper? Is that just an upper? Is yeah, alcohol true. a downer? Is, right? Is alcohol a downer? Or are we considering that drug use at all? They would excuse me promptly from this. Uh, yep, I would be asking too many questions. Like, but I was already excused because I'm not a I'm not a male. Oh, that's true. So I don't get to participate. <laughs> that feels that feels real. Yep. <laughs> so, I I get it. But I get had it. I been in there, they would have been like, get the fuck out. <laughs> I can't handle you for two uh, weeks. Sorry, that's that's too many questions. You're no. gonna be a real bad person in jail. You psychologically unstable. You're you're out. Just it's because done. I wanna be specific. I'm just trying to be helpful here. <laughs> you asked me. Exactly. Your questions are poorly worded. Maybe think this through next time. <laughs> Studies are hard. God damn. Even for our little doctorate degreed professors here heroin or other heroin or other they did have another section titled criminal experience however oh, i like calling it that instead of a history criminal experience <laughs> it's like your cv right? <laughs> what's your criminal experience well from 2012 to <laughs> 
Let me list bullet points underneath and tell you what I did and with what results. <laughs> I robbed this bank with the results of earning $250 for myself and my partner. Oh, that's that's Bonnie and Clyde. They did. They robbed banks and got very, very little money. Yeah. So nice work there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good one. Good one. Yeah. So criminal experience. So fucking funny. Yeah. So it wasn't. That's what that was titled. I couldn't find any of the questions that were underneath that. That's where they stopped scrolling over the document. Okay. So that's that's about all that I could find. But even from that little snippet alone, we can pretty much theorize at this point that they weren't doing a very good job. Have you ever written a questionnaire before? I just. Gosh. You know, did you ever send those? (laughs) <laughs> when I was in high school, <laughs> we would forward these big, long chain emails to each other uh-huh. where you answer a ton of questions about yourself. OK, those were very thorough questionnaires. Yes. Like what color is your eye? What color are your eyes? But also like, are there multiple colors? Do they change colors for different reasons? Yeah. Like it's just it was intense. It was intense. It's very specific. Yes. Not heroin or other. And then there's always yes a question no. about um, who who do you have a secret crush on? I was just about to say, this makes me feel like, will you go out with me? Yes or no? <laughs> <laughs> this is junior high bullshit. <laughs> I remember who writing those hope, notes. Who do you hope replies to this email and fills it out? <laughs> do you remember folding those stupid notes and doing them in like... Trying I, to make the most intricate origami shapes to exist. so many ways. Yes. It was a lot. It was so much. And then all that would be in there was, do you want to be my boyfriend? Yes or no? And then, my of course, very, I had to be specific underneath and say circle one. <laughs> <laughs> my very first boyfriend um, didn't ask me out in a note. Oh. He asked me out standing next to his best friend. And he was like, um, let me make up a name for this other kid. Uh, Gary. Okay. He's like, uh, Gary wants to know, but like mostly me, but Gary wants to know <laughs> if you want to go out with me. Yeah, Gary definitely wants to know. And Gary was like, this is getting weird. This is awkward. <laughs> Can I go home now? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm glad your brain went the same direction mine did. Oh man. Okay, so after those, you know, thorough, thorough questions, in the end, 24 men were selected to participate. Okay. Here's how Zimbardo describes the group. They are normal, healthy, middle class, predominantly white males who appeared to be mentally stable. Is is normal a technical term? I don't think so. I don't think that I don't think that's a scientific term. You know what that is? It's a skin type. Well, yes, he's yes. he's been in Sephora and, you know, middle class. So not according to whatever Zimbardo says, you know. OK, so that's yes. Next week, we're going to get into that a little bit more as well and talk about why this is just so problematic. So problematic. We'll talk more about it. I promise mm-hmm. we are not going to drop this. Okay, so here's how the participants were divided up via coin toss is how this was supposed to be determined. Okay. There were nine prisoners, nine guards, three reserve prisoners. Lucky. Yep. (laughs) Three reserve guards. And then additional roles were filled by members of the experiment team, some of which will definitely come up later. Important to note, though, uh, the prison warden was the student who ran the initial prison study that 
he presented in Zimbardo's class. Okay. Um, and then Zimbardo himself is the prison superintendent. Um, so I think there's no touching. We've ran another, we ran into another problem. You should not be part of your own experiment. I mean, you can be there and observe, but you can't, you like, can't play be, in no, it. No, you can't. No. Get out of the sandbox. This isn't your turn. Ew. So. It's just, the, it's, he should know the rules. He should, he knows better. He knows better. He has to know better. He just wants to fuck around. Yes. Cool. So, problem number, are we on like 10 now? I don't know. <laughs> Feels like a lot. <laughs> Let's talk about prison design and setup here for a second. Oh, because they have to go to jail now. No, they have to go to jail. Okay. Obviously. So, <laughs> Zimbardo included in his project a consultant named Carlo Prescott. And Carlo Prescott, according to the Quiet Rage film that Zimbardo produced was an instrumental factor in the design of the mock prison. Prescott himself is an ex-convict who had recently been released from San Quentin prison after seven years of incarceration, 17 years of incarceration, excuse me. Oh, so he knows jail. He, he knows prison. He knows jail. He plays a few roles. Um, so he plays a role in the design. He plays a role as we'll see later. He's on the parole board. He's okay. head of the parole board. He does a few things in this. Uh, quick, tw- quick time outside now. Uh, scientists name their documentaries um, a study in blah 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 uh, occurring on September 9th of 2004 you know like they yeah the, and Quiet Rage is a movie so and so the, and it is it is a movie and this quote it is a quote from his quote unquote documentary about this and it came from one of the people who participated as a prisoner oh so that makes it feel a little more fair. It feels a little more fair, but also How it, dramatic. You picked, you picked the most dramatic quote in the whole thing. Mm. But that's that is where he got it from. It's towards the end. They go back and they revisit people a little bit. And one of them was one of the prisoners who we'll talk about later. OK. Um, and he he says that phrase and that's where it came from. Interesting. Yes. I'd recommend. I don't know that I'd recommend watching it. If you, if, if you, you go in it with an understanding of what it is, I don't go, think it'll hurt you. If you want to see a drama movie, watch it. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, the day before the prison experiment began, mock prison's construction commenced. The experiment was conducted in a 35-foot section of the basement in Jordan Hall, which is a psychology building of Stanford University. Oh. 35 like, feet section in the basement. Like on campus. Yes. So this is summer vacation time, just to put it into a little bit of perspective. So you don't have students milling around campus. There might be a few here and there, but this is, it's pretty empty at this point. Okay. So within this 35 foot section, three small, and by small I mean six feet by nine feet, mock prison cells were set up to house three prisoners each. I think that might be smaller than a typical cell. I think so. But I do believe that most prisons are overpopulated. Yes. So there would be a few people in each one. Yes. So each cell was unlit. It had three small cots with a mattress sheet and pillow. And bars were put over the doors to simulate a prison-like experience. Okay. Okay, prisoners were confined to these cells day and night. They did not get to leave. Oh. Guards did get to leave. Guards worked eight-hour shifts. 
And they got to leave when they were done with their shift for the day. Makes sense. That's what guards do. That is how that works. A small corridor was set up as a prison yard. And I want to make sure that I note this. A small corridor. This isn't outside. We're still inside. So a hallway. A hallway. Okay. So at no time do these prisoners get to go outside. They are confined to this basement, this 35-foot section of basement, not even the full 35 feet, for what was supposed to be one to two weeks. I don't know if you know this, whether or not there were windows. There, So there were windows because it is a, you know, it's a public building. There are, yeah. there are it, things it's a that need to be adhered to. It is a real basement. They did cover up the windows. Isn't that in itself a form of torture to not know what time it is? We will super talk about that next <gasps> week. Ew. Yes. I don't like that. We will super talk about that next week because yes. And I mean, it was it was done intentionally. It's your. The goal here is to disorient the prisoners. And it seems like push them as far as you can go. Pretty much. Pretty much. And this this was all part of it. Um, A closet that was titled The Hole was set up as solitary confinement. Nice. Nice. I don't appreciate that. I don't either. A bigger room across from the cells was set up for the guards and the warden. The guards were also given access to special areas for rest and relaxation. And like I said before, they worked in teams of three, each team covering an eight-hour shift. The guards were not required to stay on site after their shift was over for the day and they were able to go home. A final room was set up for the superintendent's office for Zimbardo. Okay. So that is, again, 35 feet divided up into these different sections. And that was the home for the prisoners for what was supposed to be ultimately up to two weeks. So Dr. Xanadu is just like in the same 35 feet as them this whole time. Yes. So he's not even figuratively removed. No, like he's probably got a door between him and other people, but he is there. He's right in he there. He is right in there. Okay. He has immersed himself in this. Yeah. There's that. Let's talk about another problem here. <laughs> problem number 56. <laughs> Guard orientation. Okay. So let me remind you, a part of this was to organically study how people would function in a prison environment without somebody in a position of power guiding them, telling them what to do. It was supposed to be organic. And see what they do with this power. We're removing the person who says you have to keep going. Right. That was supposed to be what was happening. It was supposed to be organic. And it was supposed to show that if you give somebody a position of power, they're going to take advantage of it. And they are going to become monsters. Lord of the Fly style. Yes. No grownups. No grownups. Okay. But here we have guard orientation. Oh, feels like grownups. Feels a lot like grownups. So, guard orientation was held the night before the experiment began. Guards were instructed not to physically harm the prisoners or to withhold food or drink, but they still needed to find ways to maintain law and order. They were provided with wooden batons to visually establish their status. De-individuating clothing similar to real prison guard uniforms um, and mirrored sunglasses to prevent eye contact and create a feeling of an anonymity were given to each guard. Oh. Recordings give evidence guards were instructed to disrespect the prisoners. Were instructed. That's not organic. No. 
They were told to make them feel submissive, helpless, and unheard. They were also told to refer to the prisoners only by their numbers, intended to diminish their individuality. I can see that being the instruction. That Don't one, call them by their names. I can see that being the only thing to be said. But everything else there really, because the whole outcome of the study that I hear about all the time is this is what people will naturally do when right. they're given authority. Right. I mean, that's what he says his whole study is. But they're told what to do. They are told exactly and, what and to do. And we know that people do what they're told, right? Right. This is a job. Yeah. They're doing a job. They're supposed to follow the rules. So this isn't natural at all. No. No, not at all. So ultimately, all of this was supposed to make the prisoners feel like they had no control and thus had little to no influence on what happened to them in their prison environment, causing them to stop responding and give up. They had a goal in mind, and you can see it right here in orientation. You knew what they wanted their outcome to be. Drama. Drama. We'll talk about this more later. I don't want to harp on this a ton because we do talk about this a lot next week. But just understand problem number 97, (laughs) guard orientation. (sighs) Okay. Okay. Are we ready to jump into the experiment events and what happened on each given day? I mean... If they did it, I can do it. That's not true. (laughs) I can hear about it, though. I can hear about it. mm -hmm. So let's get down to experiment events starting on Sunday, August 15th, day one of the experiment. I'm going to set up an image for you. This is not what I remember. I didn't. I never heard about this part of it. So imagine waking up in the morning of the experiment, expecting for the most part for things to be normal. And that you're going to get ready, you're going to go to the school, and you're going to start this experiment. Except except in the middle of the morning, you hear sirens outside of your house. Cops are pounding on your door, telling you that you are under arrest in front of your friends and family and entire neighborhood. And you didn't know. You thought you were going to drive to the... Yeah, you thought you you were going to the school. But you get arrested? You get arrested. They want me to start out crying. Pretty much. That's really hurtful. And you are being, you are going through the whole thing. They're reading you your Miranda rights. You're being taken out to the car in cuffs. Your mom or your roommates don't know that you signed up for a study. And especially like they may know, but they may not know. Your neighbors sure don't. don't. Oh, wow. Your neighbors have no idea. So terrifying. They're going to gossip about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They think you're a real criminal now. Yep. Oh, wow. So, and it's scary to get arrested. It's scary. I've never done it before, but I'm I afraid hope of I it. never have to. It scares the shit out of me. So this is exactly what happened to each of the nine prisoners. Actual Palo Alto police officers arrested each prisoner under the charges of armed robbery, penal code 211, and burglary. That's P- a big penal one. Penal code 459. Yes. Armed robbery? Yep. Oh my gosh. The participants were intentionally not told that they were going to be arrested. They wanted it to come as a surprise. At what point do they know that this is part of the experiment and they're not being like falsely accused of a real crime? Probably once they make it to the actual school. Oh, wow. So, I mean, maybe they have an idea. They They knew they were going to be doing a prison experiment, so they probably figured it out. But so this detail right here is a breach of ethics that Zimbardo's contract like was supposed to uphold they did not sign up for this no they did not sign up for this at all to be humiliated right 
And participants were fucking pissed. Yeah. And legitimately so. I would be furious. I've never seen anybody get arrested on TV without, TV without being like thrown onto the ground and kind of wrestled. And like it's it's a pretty rough experience. Well, and I'm going to jump to this really quick. I'm going to come back to the rest of this description. But part of this day was all of this was documented by a local San Francisco TV station reporter who was riding in Zimbardo's car. <gasps> no. Yes. So they knew their grandma would see it. Yep. Oh, I hate it. I don't like it. So, yeah, imagine TV. Imagine being on TV for your mock arrest. Oh, my gosh. Whoever you were going to go on a date with, their parents are not letting them go now. Oh, God, no. God, no. You're a criminal. Even later, when you tell them it was a study, people are still going to believe, if they never hear the other end of it, that you are a criminal. Well, imagine how this could impact the rest of your life if people don't ever get to know the full details of what happened here, what you were doing. And say, so, like... Some people have to have background checks done on them for their jobs. And imagine if your neighbors didn't know and all of these people doing the background checks on you are asking your neighbors, have they ever been in trouble with the law? Well, they got arrested. Oh, my gosh. So you've lost your internship or your job. Right. And I mean, you could probably explain it later, but that. And maybe on the news they say this is for a study. I'm sure they did. But I mean, how many people just see the news and don't listen to it while they're eating their breakfast? Exactly. That just allows for a lot of misunderstandings. (sighs) Yes. We're back in the questionnaire all over again. Yep. I just need more specifics. (laughs) Seriously. I just, I, I would hate this. And they did. The participants were understandably furious. Oh, my gosh. So Dr. Zimbabwe is having a full circus today. Yes. Yes. Cool. Of note, the guards were told about this detail the previous night during their orientation. Oh, so they're not even scared. No. they. But they had, don't get arrested. They're so, guards. So the entire room of guards. You. So this is, again, in a quiet rage. Mm-hmm. The entire room started laughing when they heard about this and just started making jokes and being like, can you imagine their faces when this happens? Can you imagine what that's going to be like for them? And just started laughing. (sighs) Zimbardo among them. So they're kind of not nice people. No. Or they're just laughing because other people were laughing and it's weird not to laugh. Yeah. But either way, somebody started it. Somebody, Somebody did start that. So... Could have been Dr. Zibidi Duda, I guess. Could be. Definitely could be. The Palo Alto Police Department, along with some experiment volunteers, conducted full booking procedures on each of the prisoners at the police station. So this isn't oh. even this is we're not even at the school yet. They get taken by police car to the police station. And here is what happens to them at the police station. They are read their Miranda rights. They are fingerprinted. Their mugshots are taken. They're strip searched. They're deloused. They are put in a holding cell blindfolded. Whoa. And while they are there, they are given their new identities, which is their number, which is sewn on their uniforms. And their uniforms consist of a prison smock, which is an ill-fitting dress. They do not get to wear underwear. And they're wearing stocking caps on their heads. And they have a chain around one ankle to just give them the impression of being... A prisoner. So I might have a legitimate arrest record. I'm not sure. Who knows? What if somebody files this on accident? <gasps> oh, fuck. And and then I've been basically ho- hosed down and touched inappropriately. And Mate. now I don't have pants. Mm-hmm. In the dark. Blindfolded. 
I don't know what kind of situation isn't made a little more scary when you're not allowed to have pants and underwear on. I I would be done. Like, I'm suddenly just not comfortable with this. I would be done. $15 a day is not worth this to me. Unless it was a consensual experience. Exactly. Where we're all deciding to do this together. But when somebody takes my under things and pants away from me. I'm not okay with it. That's not fine. No, that's not and okay. I'm sure there was nothing in the contract that said, how cool are you with public nudity? Right. Because if you have a blindfold on, you don't know where you are. You have no idea. Who's in there with you. Right. If they take you to a real police station, why aren't they putting you in a real cell with other, like, real criminals? You, you don't know. You have no way of knowing. I No way it. of knowing. I don't like it. I'm upset. Yep. So after this happens and they wait there for a little while. With no pants. With no pants. Just so you guys remember. Just remember. No pants. Oh my gosh. The prisoners were taken to the mock prison site where the first shift of three guards were waiting for them. Okay. The prison warden explained the rules of their new position and the seriousness of their situation. And the inmates went to their respective cells to sleep after what is a wild first day. Oh my gosh, so now it's nighttime. Now it's nighttime. So They've spent a whole day. day doing this. Oh my gosh. And your nerves are just shot. Right? Just all all shivers now. That's how I would feel. So Ugh. at the end of day one, one of the inmate participants said that at this point, the whole thing was jarring, but he didn't feel like he was in a prison. It still kind of felt like a job to him. For me, I'd be so emotionally drained. It is ridiculous. I would feel like I got punked in the worst way. Yeah. Just humiliated and taken advantage of. Yes. Like, very vulnerable. Insanely vulnerable. Uh, and that was, again, his intent. Right. He wanted that. I still... How you feel like you can get away with something at that level without having somebody sign a paper saying, yes, you can do this to me. I don't want to compare two things that are obviously very different because this is a pretend experiment. And this other thing I'm going to talk about is a real legitimate thing that happened to honest people. Mm -hmm. But it's very similar to what happened when people were taken from their homes during the Holocaust. Right. And their identity was removed and yep. their dignity was taken. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know why you would ever choose to inflict that on another person no. if you're not a bad person right like what can be the point of this experiment and if i mean this is at a time when there are a lot of holocaust survivors remaining because you just ask they're them still around right what it felt like exactly can that, can that not give you the a real result because they they lived they it. lived it we don't have to fake traumatize new no, people this isn't they lived they lived that experience they weren't put into a manufactured situation yeah. They, they knew you could ask and they'll they'll tell you exactly what it feels like to lose your identity. They right. don't, you don't need to you don't need to play torture people. No, I don't get it. I hate it. I hate it. OK, <sighs> so that's day one. Monday, August 16th, day two. I have titled this day Surprise Wake Up and the Start of a Rebellion. And surprise wake up starts at 2.30 a.m. Oh, that's still nighttime. <laughs> After their long day, they are woken up at 2.30 a.m. with the guards clamoring into the cell block, blowing on whistles, clanging the bars with their batons, and demanding an inmate count where the inmates would line up and recite their numbers. For no reason? For no reason. I mean, the reason behind this was... Sleep, depri sleep deprivation is the ultimate disorientation tool. Right. You 
you rely on sleep to recharge your brain, to keep things healthy and sane. And to, to keep your memories. And to keep your... Exactly. This is fully intended to be disorienting. Oh, no. So, the guards hadn't established their dominance at this point. The inmates rebelled. And here's what they did. They refused to leave their cells. They ripped their inmate numbers off of their uniforms. They took off their stocking caps and they insulted the guards, all while barricading themselves in their cells by pushing their beds against the doors. Okay. They were not having it. No. And uh, I mean, how many of them were like, this isn't real. Right. Get I, fucked. I mean, to be real honest, after the bullshit of the first day and knowing it wasn't real, I'd be like, yeah, fuck you guys. I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm not going to do this. We'll come back at 7 a.m. But right now, fuck you. I met the real police earlier. I'm over you pretend guards. I. No. Absolutely not. Go fuck off. Mm -hmm. So at this point, there were only three guards on duty. Because that was the intended design for the shifts. All nine guards had to be called in to regain control. <laughs> All nine guards. I bet they were mad about being woken up in the middle of the night, too. Like, why'd you guys start this shit? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is just an experiment. You guys could have started at seven. <laughs> really? <laughs> they All nine guards had to be called in. They removed the prisoner's clothes. They removed beds from cells two and three while guards attempted to remove the barricade in cell one. Inmate 8612 could be heard yelling from that cell saying, fuck this experiment. This is a simulation. Fuck this. Ditto. Yes. He and a number of other main instigators took their turns in, in solitary in the hole, in the closet. Was it advice given to them that the way to dehumanize people would be to take their clothes away? Or did they come up with that? Do you know? We'll talk about that a little bit more next week for sure. I They were instructed a little. We'll talk about next week what happens. But the way that this is intended, the way that this is portrayed is that this is what they came up with. Okay. This According to A Quiet Rage, according this to Zimbardo's publication, did. this is just what the guards came up with. Okay. I don't know how it, I've, I'm, I wasn't raised as a male. I don't identify as one. I don't know if that experience is different. Right. Um, but as, as a woman, if a bunch of people took my clothes away, that's it for me. I'm oh, done. I'm, 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 I'm out. Mean, it's over. Yep. I would have been gone when they took my pants. Yep. 100%. Like that's too I, far. I would not. I would not be there by this point. They, they would be down. A, they would be down an inmate. Mm -hmm. um, so. Inmate 5704, the leader of the rebellion, had his feet chained together by the guards. Oh. The rebellion was ultimately crushed, but it brought up a concern. Nine guards were required to subdue nine prisoners, but each shift had only three. So the real question then was how to keep control without physical tactics. The answer that they came up with is psychological tactics. Because their clubs are for, for looks, right? For looks, yes. They are not supposed to be using those. Okay, we are on to Tuesday, August 17th, day three. I've titled this, Let the Psychological Warfare Commence. Uh-oh. The guards on this day set up what was called the privilege cell. 
Prisoners with the most minimal involvement in the previous day's rebellion were allowed to stay in this cell. They were given back their uniforms and their beds, and they were allowed to wash up and brush their teeth. And of note, the other inmates were not. Oh. Gross. So we talked about stinky earlier. Yeah. It's getting stinky. It's gonna be. Um, so... Offered so the people who were in the cell were also offered the chance to eat a special meal. The other inmates were not and were told that they would be forced to watch. However, out of solidarity, solidarity, the privileged inmates, quote unquote, didn't eat the meal. Good, so that's nice. Good job. After about twelve hours in the privileged cell, new in, new inmates were rotated in in an attempt to sow feelings of mistrust. Bear in mind when you moved back to your old cell. You went back to cells with no beds, and all of the negative factors of not washing and brushing teeth, losing access to uniform, all came back. Oh, wow. During this day, inmate 1037 refused to leave the hole until beds were returned, a sign that the prisoners still had some fight left in them. Punishments designed to humiliate the inmates began to ramp up, and this is where we have guard who was nicknamed John Wayne. This fucker. I fucking hate him. In the YouTube video I watched, I learned uh, to dislike this man greatly. I Everything that I have watched, everything that I have watched, I... He, he has reasons that he gives for why he does the yeah, things that he dumb. does, but they are dumb reasons. He sounds... He sounds like a child, and he was kind of a child. He kind of was a child, but, but He sounds like the kind of person who should have been screened out. Exactly. Unless you're looking for a hullabaloo, which was obviously Dr. Xanadu's move. He was looking for a hullabaloo. We will super talk about that. Okay, so the punishments that John Wayne came up with. Counting off their numbers while doing repeated push-ups, sit-ups, and jumping jacks. And that doesn't sound bad when you first say it until you really think about it. Repeated sit-ups, push-ups, and jumping jacks. I don't know about you, but after I do about 15 push-ups at most, I'm exhausted. Yeah, and they're girl push-ups for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not great. So if I'm forced to do push-up after push-up after push-up and then, you know, do I have clothes again? You might and you might not. I am 100% never doing a jumping jack in front of someone in the nude. Ow! No way. Ow! Never, never. Mm -mm -mm. Mm-mm. Because one of the other things was random strip searches. And they were being randomly punished for no observable reason. They could all just be sitting there and then John Wayne would yell out punishment time and it was punishment time, whether you did anything to deserve it or not. That That's not even a simulated structure. No, it's not. So it's not a prison experiment. No. And that's another problem with this all over the places. I'm like... I understand. I understand. Prison is not a good place. Right. Prison is not a good place. I I don't think the guards have the time to devote that kind of torture in general. In general. I'm not saying it never happens. But they, but to, to just get bored and yell it out. Right. I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of shit that's wrong with our prison system. I don't want to say that they're... I don't like it. <laughs> not in favor of it. Not, not a fan. in favor. Um... But I feel like this isn't a prison experience. No. This is this is a dramatized movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk about this. 
I wasn't going to. I had my limits of where I cut off the things that were described as punishments and humiliation tactics. This is where the limit is drawn for me. So know that other things happened beyond this, supposedly. I'm drawing the line here. Sounds good. So at 10, so at this point, going to an actual bathroom was deemed a privilege that the guards could grant or deny at any time. After 10 p.m., any bathroom business was to be done in a bucket left in their cells, and likely that bucket would not be emptied until morning. Oh, that was a form of punishment. I'm going to talk about inmate 8612 again here. At this point, 8612 was showing significant signs of a mental breakdown. Inmates were told at the beginning that they would be allowed to leave, but it was under very certain circumstances. And Zimbardo attempted to convince 8612 to stay with an offer of a deal. He would get no more harassment if he would provide some inside information. In essence, Zimbardo wanted him to become a snitch. What? He already had snitches. Listen, what kind of study are you doing now? Is your study mm-hmm. about about telling the truth? About It's a completely different situation. Yep. Double agents? Right. Is that what we're talking about? Did you have that listed in your list of variables to study? Because I don't think so. He's just playing around. He's just, this is a game. This is, this is a dramatized movie adaptation of a quasi-experiment. I don't. It's not, it's not an experiment. So, 812 reluctantly agrees and goes back to his cell, but he doesn't last very long. At morning count the next day, he starts screaming, fuck you. If I have to be here, I'm not going to put up with your shit. At this point, the prisoners are told that they cannot quit. And this is where some of the inmates say they truly began to feel like prisoners. They might be getting paid, but this truly started to feel real. Right then. Oh no. If I hadn't broken down before, that would do it yep, to me. I would be done. If all of that was happening to me and I was like I was ready to be done and I was told, nope, you can't leave. I'd lose it. And 8612 is done at this point he goes into an uncontrollable rage and starts screaming things like i'm fucked up and jesus christ i'm burning up inside and i just can't take it anymore oh my gosh at this point research assistant craig haney immediately released prisoner 8612 because that's hella upsetting right oh my that is distressing uh, at a minimal level wow Later conversations after the experiment was over make it known that 8612 could or could not have been acting, like, pretending this. Just to get out? Just to get out. Just to leave. But it feels like a lot. But it feels like a lot. And ultimately, Craig Haney's like, we can't take this risk. It's not worth it. Whether he's pretending or not pretending, if this is real, we can't. We can't fuck with this. Yeah. So they let him go, and he leaves that day. <laughs> All right. Wednesday, August 18th, day four. Prisoner division is a goal on this day, and it starts, it really starts happening. Seeing that other inmates were treated differently by the guards, they started to turn on each other and distance themselves. Rioters saw the prisoners as snitches. Other prisoners saw the rebellious prisoners as a threat to any shred of comfort or solace they could keep any kind of tenuous hold on. Wow. 
We're going to talk about Prisoner 819 now. Prisoner 819 was one of the rebellious inmates. Um, he even refused to participate in some of the prisoner counts or exercises, and he actually attempted to blockade his cell. Eventually, 819 is put into the hole. Well, I mean, I think he just wanted some alone time. I think he did. I think he did. I think he was kind of over, mm-hmm. over this. It's obvious that 819 was starting to break down right now. A priest, a legitimate prison chaplain, was brought in to talk to the inmates. Okay. Of note, when the inmates talked to this priest, more than half of them referred to themselves by their numbers, not by their names. That was The prisoners themselves. Fast. It is fast. 819 refused to talk to him at all and instead asked for a medical doctor. Fair. Completely fair. Throughout the day, other prisoners repeatedly kept up the chant of 819 is a bad prisoner. 819 did a bad thing. That sounds creepy. Right? And it's all happening outside of the door of solitary confinement. 819 completely breaks down. Zimbardo, seeing him in the States, actually attempts to get him to leave. He is bad. He is he is emotionally, mentally broken. Yeah. At this point, he's just sitting here saying that he wants to stay. He wants to prove he can be a good inmate. He is a good inmate. He wants to just make sure everybody knows he's a good inmate. Oh, no. It seems it seems fast, but also he hasn't spoken to anyone outside of this experiment in four days. And you've been sleep deprived. And he doesn't you, know what time of day Any comfort is. has been taken away. You don't know what time of day is. You haven't seen daylight or the outside. You feel straight up assaulted. Days. Right. So Zimbardo had to spend a while reminding 819 of his actual identity and that his identity wasn't a prisoner, that he in fact had a real life outside of this small simulated prison. So at this point, Xanadu doesn't learn his lesson. Is he just getting off on it? Probably. Nice. I, I think he He's, legitimately cared, but I maybe for the sake of science, but for the junk. sake of science, we needed to keep going. It's junk science. 819 is eventually persuaded to leave and a new prisoner 416 is brought in as a replacement. And I'm going to talk about 416 a lot in the next day. I just want to point out right now. Imagine not. So he goes through the same experience that everybody else does. Getting arrested. He gets arrested. He goes through that whole scenario and he's brought here. But he's brought here after everybody else has had a chance to kind of, for lack of a better word, acclimate to their surroundings. And they're acting weird as hell. They are whack. They are acting weird as hell. It's fucked up in there. And he's just thrown into it. Mm-hmm. He's not he's not been here for the same amount of time that they have. Okay. This brings us to Thursday, August 19th, day five. This is visiting day. So this is families are invited to come and visit. Okay. This is still a day of wild manipulation, not only for the prisoners, but for the visitors as well. So here's how this day ran. It's obvious that a family and friends of the participants thought that anyone was being mistreated. The whole experiment itself could be in peril. So the prison area was cleaned. The prisoners were given a good meal. And a lot of things happened comfort-wise to put them in a good mood. Okay. There was a receptionist who was in every way pleasant, benign, and just made the whole affair seem nicer than it actually was. Okay. 
In spite of all this, in order to keep the environment simulating a prison environment as much as possible, the guard made the visitors wait long periods of time to see their loved ones. Once they got to see them, visitors only got 10 minutes while a guard watched. In addition, only two visitors got to go in at a time. I don't understand what making people outside the experiment wait has to do with maintaining the prison atmosphere. Do the inmates know that their people are there and waiting? I believe that they do. They they know that it's happening. I don't know if they know, like, at the exact time that their families or friends arrive, but they know that they're coming. Okay. They are made aware of that fact. All right. So in spite of the efforts to convince visitors that everything was on the up and up, many parents were concerned for the welfare of their sons, and they were right to be. Some parents even had plans to contact lawyers to get early release of their children. Let me let that sink in one more time. They had plans to get in contact with lawyers. Because Which must mean that they don't feel empowered to take their children. Yes. And again, the prisoners have been told they are not allowed to leave. Can you imagine how freaky that would be if your kid was like, no, I have to stay here. I right. can't. I can't leave. Right. Like, this is pretend. Exactly. Let's go to Denny's. Yes. I just. I don't know where people go. Denny sounded Denny's fine. Denny sounded right. Yeah. That, feels like a, that feels like an after a botched prison experiment. I mean, that's what you do after a high school uh, production. That's true. We leave and we all eat Denny's in the middle of the night. Yep. 100%. That's how you do it. (laughs) Okay. A defense attorney actually even came to talk about options for early release. And he gave out his card and he's like, hey, you can contact me, please. Holy cow. Like it's real jail. Like it's real jail. I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about this more next week. Why this is this is significant. Just know a lawyer came in and said, here's, I'm willing to talk with you about your options. I don't think lawyers put place their time um, anywhere where they don't think money is going to be made. Right. So they must have seen this as a, this is bad and someone should pay someone else about it. Yeah. That's not good. Some parents were manipulated in a different way, being asked if they didn't think that their sons were tough enough to make it through the experiment. So the manipulation really went all the way around. Ew. And I want to remind you, a priest came in. He didn't do anything. This lawyer comes in while he offers his information. He doesn't do anything to stop it. The parents all walk away at the end of the day. How are they all convinced that this is still fine? Right. And what does this priest think that he's... How was that appropriate? Right. (laughs) We'll talk more about this next week, but I just... Yeah. So, on this day, there is also a rumor of a prison break. Oh, my gosh. So, let's go back to 8612 for a minute. On visiting day, there was a rumor that inmate 8612 was planning to come back and help the rest of the inmates escape and that he was bringing reinforcements. What? (laughs) When Zimbardo and the guards heard these rumors... They made makeshift cells upstairs and transferred the prisoners to those cells. The plan was to have Zimbardo wait downstairs for the so-called rescuers. Zimbardo even said that there was a plan to bring back 8612 into the experiment and tell him that his parole was being revoked or that it was improperly given. Oh my gosh. 
And fuck him up forever. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it was like, Jeez. I've been talking about this. So <laughs> I I ran the Ogden half um, mm-hmm. last weekend. Half marathon, half marathon, everyone. Very fancy. Um, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's not like the biggest of deals. It's fine. Um, it's pretty big. <laughs> it's the last, I didn't train very well this time. I just kind of, it came up and I was like, I do it every year, so I've got to do it. And I reached mile 10. And it was just one of those scenarios where I'm like, I'm really tired. I PR'd, by the way. I got my personal record for my time, which was really great. But mm-hmm. at the, when I reached mile 10, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm so tired. And I just kept running because all I wanted to do was be done. I just didn't want to run anymore. But I knew if I stopped running, it was going to take longer to be done with the experience. Mm-hmm. And then I'm done. And then I just remember I was sitting in the car with Brian because we we needed to go buy a gift for one of our friend's kids because we were going to his birthday party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kept telling him, I'm like, I don't know what it is, but I have this feeling that at any given moment, I'm going to like pop back to reality and I'm going to be back running that race. <laughs> I've <laughs> just convinced real. myself it's over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. It was a weird moment. I was just very tired and very hungry. Mm-hmm. And I'd had a mimosa afterwards, which... Can I tell you? Okay, we're, we're going off of... We're going away from Zimbardo for a second. <laughs> I... The only thing that I wanted at the end of this fucking race was my beer. <laughs> and Utah is so dumb. They can't start serving beer until 10. And I ran this fucking thing too fast. <laughs> I had to wait an hour before they were going to serve me a beer. And absolutely not. I'm not waiting there. I'm tired. <laughs> so we had to go to a different place, wait an hour for like a bar or restaurant to be able to open for brunch and serve alcohol before I could have a goddamn mimosa. They give out beer at the end of the marathon? They do. It's starting at 10. Oh, uh, starting at 10. <laughs> Still the fuck down. That's Apparently. cool. Is it like roosters? Um, so it's not the nicest of beer. So like the, I think you get like one, one token given to you to go get one but it only goes towards like a Budweiser or something like that which is oh, fine. Oh I thought it would be a local one. But they do the serve local ones oh, so okay. you can go buy those um, which is what I usually do because I'm not going to drink a Budweiser because they're gross. <laughs> <laughs> is this a baseball game? Okay. Then I'll get a lemonade actually. Yeah, probably. What's that? A shandy? Yeah. Do some shandies. Those are nice. It sounds refreshing as hell. Oh god it is. I didn't get one. I didn't get one. It's fine. It was the only thing. I'm not gonna lie. I thought of getting to the finish line and was like, and beer time. And then we get to the beer section, and I'm like, they're all closed. I'm (laughs) too fast for beer. This is the worst. That's the last PR you see out of this girl. Absolutely. (laughs) I was really proud for me, guys. I'm not very fast, but for me, like doing having an average of a sub 10 minute mile. It's a huge win. That's amazing. I'm going to take it. 13 miles. 13 miles. That's a lot 13. of them. 13.1 miles. Lot po- yeah, that's important. And the point one, they have you running in the opposite goddamn direction of the finish line. It's fine. I'm not hurt. want to see it when you're almost to it. <laughs> oh, and then, so, no one who's not from here won't, won't know, but, like, we're running on Grant mm-hmm. from 20th Street 
to 25th Street for five blocks. You see the goddamn finish line for five blocks <laughs> after you just ran in the opposite direction from it. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> It's fine. I'm not hurt. <laughs> it should appear when I'm 10 steps from it. Right? <laughs> or at least be on like a day. If I have to see it for that long, let me be running downhill. <laughs> I just... <laughs> this is straight away. And I just had all of... Like, you can't stop running because you have people on each side of you starting at that point. Mm-hmm. And you've got people like running up to you being like, here, take a miniature American flag. No, fuck you. Get away from me. <laughs> and the cowbells are ringing yeah. and the people are cheering. Yeah. And Brian is there. I did see his face and that was the like <laughs> best moment of my whole life. That's special. I just waved at him and smiled and he looked so proud. <laughs> he was. He was cute. All that morning he was... Or the day before... They were making plans in our group message, and he was like, "No, I just, I, it's, we can do whatever, whatever, but I have to be here when Shannon's it was finished." Really sweet. It was so sweet. It was so sweet. Oh, I love him. Number two Valentine for Brian. Uh, Seth had everybody write really nice things about me for my birthday uh, without me knowing, and then gave me the notes. And this is how much Brian loves you. It's so sweet. He, what he likes the best about me is that I'm a good friend to you. Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't that the tenderest thing? He just loves you so much. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was really, really really sweet. sweet. You are a really good friend. (laughs) Thanks. Brian's a really good friend, too. We got it. (laughs) We've got a good crew. It's like a friend triangle. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. It's really sweet. It was was sweet. It was it was a really fun birthday present. (laughs) I loved it. When Seth messaged me for it, I was like, oh, my God, this is cute. He needs to stop showing off. Honestly, Christ, right. Everybody has to get presents for everybody else. And he's making us all look shitty. Oh, yeah. No, I I will never keep up. It's Mm -hmm. fine. It's fine. (laughs) Seth, you're amazing. I'm just jealous is all (laughs) of your brain. So, is he staying up at night thinking that they, he doesn't write them down? I don't know. How, how does he, he remember I don't anything? Know. I don't get I don't it. Know. If it is not written down, and when I say written down, it has to be written down on something that, like, in the morning, I'm going to, like, go there and see it. Because if it's written down, but somewhere that's not in my line of sight, it's gone. It's gone. Especially because if I if I write a thing down, I'm like, okay, brain, you don't have to hold that anymore. It's written down. <laughs> yep. So it's even more gone. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. <sighs> <sighs> Oh, he's sweet. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. So we've gotten past the prison break where if it was going to happen, they were going to bring 8612 back in. They didn't. He didn't show up. Nothing happened. But they believed it enough to move everybody upstairs. To move everybody upstairs. And then Zimbardo was going to just sit on a folding chair in the room with the lights off until they busted in. I just imagine him having (laughs) this, like, you know, like those, like, evil plotters that just sit there and, like, pet their cats. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's what I, that's what I envisioned. Okay. We're going to come back to Prisoner 416, the one who was in solitary and, um, no, not, he wasn't in solitary. He's the new one. Mm-hmm. New guy. Solitary guy left. This one replaced him. So he's brand new. And he's not, he's not doing very well. He was thrown into the thick of things and really had a hard time wrapping his brain around what was happening to him. Yeah. On the visitation day, he had been unable to eat all of the sausage that he was given at lunch. Because he's been eating like a regular person right, up until this point. Up until this point. So, like, 
if he's not hungry, he's not hungry. Like, Jesus. Mm-hmm. But later that day, after visiting hours were done, he was told that he needed to finish it. This old-ass sausage that he was given earlier in the day. Mm. And he refused. So he is put in the hole and forced to sit there for longer than the prescribed hour within solitary while holding the sausage in his hands. <laughs> it just feels like a weird addition to add it's into there. Weird. But I would, for me, a person who hates having stuff like feeling greasy, feeling sticky, feeling anything like that. I I don't like to, I can't smell a food that sounds gross. Mm. Like the smell of things would make me sick. I'm, listen, we're too tender and sensitive. Don't put us in fake jail. No, I can't handle it. <laughs> we're precious. I know I can't handle it. It's <laughs> fine. So he still refused to eat and was kept in solitary all night. All night. I mean, I understand solitary is in, incredibly traumatic for a lot of people, but... Uh, does a certain part of it feel safe? I wonder if it does. For him, the way he's reacting, it doesn't. I don't think he feels safe in there. He's not And happy. so while he's sitting in there, all of the other, not all of the other prisoners, but a good portion of the other prisoners are kicking the door and yelling, thanks, 416. And, oh, just making him feel and shitty. And he's having to hear them doing punishments such as push-ups, counts, stuff like that. And then when they're not doing that, they're kicking the door and yelling, thanks, 416. Ew. Uh... So one thing to note, the other prisoners could have let him out of the hole in exchange for giving up their blankets. Only one prisoner voted to let him out. The others voted to keep him in. It is at this point that graduate student Christina Maslach Zimbardo's future wife. Wait up. What? Yep. But not now. Not now. Okay. He marries a grad student? Uh Uh-huh. And the way he talks about her in a quiet rage is disgusting. Brian and I both just cringed and we were just like, ew, ew, that feels predatory. Anyways. So Christina comes, visits the prison that night, and she is appalled at what she is seeing. That night, she watched the guards abusing prisoners while they wore bags over their heads. She told him what was happening was wildly immoral and wrong and showed a complete lack of oversight on his part. She told him that he had been warped by his role as the prison superintendent and that he'd warped into someone that she did not recognize. This is what got through to Zimbardo in the end, and he ended the experiment the next day. Cutting the experiment short on day six instead of going the full two weeks, which brings us to Friday, August 20th, day six of the experiment. It's a while into this day, but eventually all the participants are gathered together and told that the experiment is over. And stupid. And dumb. Yep. (laughs) They were paid in full for the two weeks, even though it's getting cut short at six days. I mean, that's the least he could do. Prisoners and guards were debriefed in different groups and then brought together. When they debrief, prisoner 416, so the newest one that was brought in, mm-hmm. and John Wayne have a conversation together. John Wayne's the asshole. John Wayne is the asshole guard. He instigates a lot of abuse. And in this, so this particular debrief that I'm going to talk about happens two months after the experiment. Several happen o- over the course of years. Okay. Um, this one's two months later. 
Corwin Six says John Wayne's actions continue to be harmful to him. He said he's sure that he's a nice guy, but he's seen what this prison, prison guard can turn into. John Wayne says he was running his own experiment and wanted to see what he could do before people came in and stopped him. What? That's his excuse. We'll go into that more later. 416 says, I really don't fucking care. Is he? You're a monster. You may, you may be a nice person, but to me, you will always be a monster. Running my own experiment? Within an experiment. He's one of those white guys who thinks he should be able to say the N-word. Probably. That's annoying. That's so annoying to me. I don't like I was it. running my own experiment. I was running my, my own experiment. experiment. I'm going to talk. Oh, my I'm, gosh. We're going to talk about that a lot next week. About him, about prisoner, um, the first prisoner that left. The one who had a panic attack. Yep. And we're going to talk a lot about Zimbardo's incredible flaws, in my opinion. Uh-huh. 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 So, obviously, this Experiment was wildly, wildly, wildly unethical. Yeah. And it's just not an experiment. This it's is just lasting trauma for no reason. Right. Because there's nothing to be gained from this. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. I I don't want to give away what we're going to talk about next week. Because I feel like next week really solidifies in my mind how I feel about this experiment. Mm-hmm. quote unquote, how I feel about what came from it, how I feel about the participants of it, and how I feel about Zimbardo himself, yeah. just as a whole human being in general. Because what I thought I knew in my psychology courses is not what I found. And I, what I found angers me to a very great level. And we'll go into that next week, but just understand and be prepared that you're going to be coming into an episode where I am very angry about things. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, this week was a weird one. But this this topic has always been interesting to me. I'm glad we researched it. I'm glad we looked into it. I'm glad I know better now. And we'll talk more about why I'm so happy that I know better now next week. Uh, I It'll keep us all from... Continuing to spread information that's not true. Right. Because I feel like what we learned about this isn't what happened. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll do another part on the Stanford prison experiment next time. Yes. (sighs) Thanks for sticking with us, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) This was a rough one, but I'm glad you were here for it. You're the best. Let's do this again sometime. Say hi to your mom for me. Bye.